Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, welcome home. Welcome back. What's up? Thank you. I got stuck at the train station because I needed to add money to my card to swipe myself through. And I added $10, but I needed to also swipe myself out. And it was Mm. actually $12 and I didn't have enough funds and I got stuck and couldn't get out. I don't want to (laughs) condone any behavior, but I have hopped a turnstile once or twice in my life. Well, I actually had to do that also because when traveling with kids, my card worked for them, but not for me. And I don't know why it stopped me. And so now my kids are on the other side and I'm stuck here on the side. And I was like, I'm not leaving my kids. So I'm sure. So I, instead of hopping it, I went under. (laughs) Amazing. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad this is the energy we're bringing today. So when this comes out, I will be, I guess, coming home from RailsConf or just got home from RailsConf. So by the time this comes out, I will have been at RailsConf. You're not going this year. Hopefully I'll see you at RubyConf. But we are going to talk today about kind of being a senior engineer. Yes, because someday I would love to be a senior engineer and... Me you too. Are one, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I am one. I don't feel like one, especially not today, but I am one. So yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a little bit about mentoring too, because that's something I'm pretty passionate about. So yeah, let's get into it. I asked ChatGPT to give me some questions to ask you. I'm not sure which order I want to handle this because the first one didn't really seem like a good starting one. So let's see. How about this one? What does a typical day look like for you as a senior software engineer? And how might that differ from when you were an early career dev? So I wake up at 4.30. That's the first step to be... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm not kidding, but that's not the step to being a senior engineer. (laughs) The main difference between the work that I do now and the work that I previously used to do is that right now I'm a lot more responsible for the product side of the business. So before I was like, give me task, I do task, I get new task. Very algorithmic, very in and out, day in, day out, just like grabbing tasks, doing those tasks, picking up new tasks. And usually answering to a senior engineer about like what's going on and working with them and collaborating like that. Now I'm on the other end of it where I am much more uh, involved in like the discussions around like I'm leading projects. I have developers that are working with me that I'm in charge of, quote unquote. That's maybe not the best way to put it, but like I'm responsible for to a degree. And I'm having conversations with designers and I'm having conversations with product people and I'm showcasing the product to marketing people and I'm having coordination discussions and a lot more meetings. (laughs) That's the big one that comes to mind. The difference is like, as you progress up the chain, there's a lot more meetings, a lot more responsibility, a lot more things to keep in your head. And more challenges, I guess. Before coming to Podia, Podia, were you a senior before? I don't know. My title had not been senior before. And I did not really consider myself a senior. There have been people that I worked with in the past who have called me a senior. So when I was at CodeFund in 2019, 2020, I think at some point, Nate and Eric were calling me a senior. And when CodeFund eventually went under... They were like, we will call you a senior if you send people to give us references for you. 
but I didn't really consider myself a senior. Technically, the work I was doing at CodeFund was what a senior would do, but it was also we were small. So I was in charge of a lot. But the company I worked at after that, I was not a senior. And then I came back to the first company I worked at after that and was not a senior, but was given a senior salary, basically. I had worked for them immediately out of college and I was coming back and they were like, we need someone who can just jump right in. And at that point, I had like received much more money than I had originally been making there. So I came back to like 50, 60% salary bump. Podia is the first one that was like, you are a senior engineer. That is the title we are giving you. So I would consider Podia to be my first senior engineering gig, but I've had senior engineer responsibilities before. Gotcha. So it sounds like before you were more heads down coding work. And now it sounds like you're leading projects. Would you consider yourself a tech lead? Is that different from a senior engineering role? When I think of a tech lead, I think of someone who's in charge of all of the engineers, an engineer who is in kind of like the lead engineer of the whole team. So like I would consider that to be Jason and I would almost consider our CTO to be that, but he's the CTO. So I would consider Jason to be the tech lead on our team. Got it. So what some of the most challenging aspects of your role? There's like the people component, which is always hard, which we tend to like fall into. We've talked about that several times on this show of like, you got to work with more people. So you have to tailor your communication skills to working with those people. But you have to have a different conversation with marketing that you have with design that you have with the engineers that you have with the management that you have with the product. Like there's all these different tones and responsibilities and things that some teams need to know and something don't need to know. That's more so something that I've encountered in the past, not as much at Podio, where like, hey, this team should not know about this other thing. Like, do not tell them that. That's not a thing at Podia, which is nice, but I've had that in the past when leading projects. So there's a lot more responsibility. There's more expected of you, I think, for sure. Like, whenever there's an incident, whenever we have a problem, like something's happening with the code, I feel like as a senior engineer, it is my responsibility to show up. And if I am able to, jump in immediately and be like, what's going on? Let's get this fixed up. There's more planning, a lot more architecture involved, which is another big distinguishing factor, I think, from a senior role versus other roles where you're doing a lot more thinking, a lot more planning, a lot more designing of the architecture of the application, a lot more thinking about the implications of like certain architecture decisions. Like if we make this decision, how will this impact this other thing? So yeah, a lot more decision making, I guess. What do you prefer? What you're doing now or when you were more heads down and just working on what you were told to do? I'm a natural leader. I know that about myself. I don't like to lead. It is a burden. It's <laughs> truly a burden. It's a lot easier for me to just receive a task and be told what to do. But I, at some point, I've got to... If I want to progress to the next step in my career as a senior, if I want to get the staff engineer or whatever other roles are up there, this is kind of what you have to do. When you were saying that, I felt the same when I was a pharmacist. I felt like I had responsibilities that I did not want to have. I felt like I had good ideas and I can move the team in a certain direction, but I didn't want the responsibility. Like I just wanted to do my thing and go. There is a very big part of me that wants that as well. There's also a very big part of me that's like, I know I can make a difference. And I want to make that difference. And so there's a part of me that can't just come in and then leave. Yeah. 
So it sounds like you're coding less. How do you balance the technical work that you have to do versus all of the maybe meetings or calls or interacting with other people that you have to do? That's an amazing question, Julie. And I wish I had an answer for that. That's actually something I'm struggling with right now. I don't really know the answer to that. I think there's definitely blocking out time for certain things. Like I've been trying to do that a little bit better of like, okay, hey team, like this morning, I'm going to be only focused on planning for the next stage of this project. Um, So call me in the afternoon if you need me. And so that's one thing I'm finding. Podi is great because there's not a lot of meetings in general. I've worked at places in the past that were obsessed with meetings and like it was just meeting, 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 meeting. So I don't have a ton of meetings, like it's not out of control, but I don't know how to balance it. Like it's difficult, I think. And I think the more I get practice with that part of it, the better I will get. I think I'm a lot better at being a senior engineer, not a senior developer, if that makes sense. I can code at a senior engineer level. I cannot necessarily lead at a senior developer level yet. Or I guess maybe I can because I am, but I want to get better at it. Yeah. So one thing that we haven't really talked about, but I think is part of being a senior engineer is mentorship. A lot of companies have this baked in where the senior developers are mentoring like people who come new onto the team, or there's just kind of a general expectation of like, hey, you're the senior, you help out the people who aren't senior, whether unspoken or not. And I have found a lot of fulfillment and validation and purpose in mentoring. And I think it's partially because when I was starting out, I was assigned a mentor and I meet with that person to this day, every week. We are great friends now. He's given me great advice throughout the years and taught me things that I carry with me to this day. And one of those things that he kind of taught me was like the value that he provided me was like something that I wanted to give back. And so over the years, I have mentored and do mentor developers in the community, whether it's a explicit relationship or not. People will just straight up ask me like, hey, can you mentor me? And my answer is always no, because usually the people who are asking that aren't people that I've established some relationship with at any point. Like they are just kind of asking. They maybe just met me, like maybe they met me in a conference or maybe they just know me online and they just drop me a DM. Like the answer is probably going to be no in almost every case there, because my energy and my focus is very important to me. And there are very specific people that I like to mentor. And those are people who I think like this person is self-sufficient and they just need some help or guidance. I don't have the time to teach you Ruby or Rails. To me, that's not what a mentor is. To me, a mentor is someone who like you have some problems or you have like some certain areas in your work that you want to get better at. And you just need guidance from someone who's already been in that place or been in those positions or has already solved these types of problems. And so I really like mentoring. I do it a lot. So yeah. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoRails for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoRails. Not only does GoRails provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. What would you say are some skills or qualities that are important in order to be a mentor? I think 
you need to have a massive degree of empathy and understanding and patience. And you also need to have this ability to not solve problems for people. And I have always been that person until I read a really good book in college. And now I'm a lot better about not being a problem solver for people who don't need it. And so one thing that I found really good about or that has I've seen benefit the people I've mentored is allowing them to come to their own conclusions, keeping them on the rails, but letting them decide which track they're going to go down not even picking for them. Like I may be looking at some code and I may be looking, okay, well, if we did this and this and this and this and this and this, this, perfect. And they don't see that yet because they haven't had experience to see that yet, to see all those different code paths. So I like letting them choose what they think is the best solution and then working in maybe what ways to make that better along the way. And so I think being encouraging is a big part of it. And kind of being that person in someone's corner of like, they can come to you because they know that you're their guy. You're their person that's going to back them up. That's going to give them advice if they need it. Really, the biggest part is just listening. I think you don't need to solve every problem for them. You just need to listen. A lot of times, like if you just listen or if you don't give an answer to, <laughs> I found this helpful. Instead of giving the answer to the problem, help them find it. Teach them how to find the answer. Because that way, when you're not there, they'll know how to find it next time. I like that a lot. Well, my favorite mentors would often say things like, what do you think? And sometimes it's after, like if I asked a question and they already answered and they wanted to get my opinion. But all the times it's just, they want me to see my thought process first. And I have another mentor who, when I do run into an issue, they know that they'll just give me a hint or like give me a clue as to what might be the issue. And then I'll take that and go off and spend an hour trying to figure it out and then get back to them. So I really like that you do that. One of the most interesting parts I found about mentoring, and I've also seen it as being a mentee, it turns into one of these things where I think the mentee comes into it with this idea that like, hey, this person is going to help me write code. And maybe that is the case. But what I see successful mentee-mentor relationships going is becomes a lot less about code and a lot more about being a developer, a lot more about communication, solving interpersonal problems, solving how can I make my PR descriptions better? How can I do this better? Let's talk about this architecture principle. Let's think about this pattern. The other day, I was on the phone with my mentor and I had a question. I was like, look, I have two options to solve this bug. I can always rescue. I had an issue where like these records weren't getting created because the record had already been created and there's a foreign key issue. And so I was like, I could rescue this or I could check whether the record exists first. And then if it does or doesn't like proceed on. And we had this long conversation about what are the benefits to rescuing? What are the benefits of being explicit and checking for that object's like existence? And how does that relate to the readability of the code? And how does that relate to the maintainability of the code? I didn't need to know how to do either of those things, right? I know how to either rescue or how to either create a record, blah, blah, blah they became much more about like the architecture and the principles behind that architecture decision. And I find that when you get a senior engineer with a mentee, it becomes progressively a lot more about that. Let's talk about patterns. Let's talk about principles. And especially a lot more about non-technical actual talks, but a lot more about relationships and communication. Yeah, I like that a lot. I was just thinking about how my approach to reaching out to mentors is 
I really want to hear more about best practices or what their conventions are and why might we do things a certain way. So I had a mentor that doesn't work at Codecademy. And so I don't get to talk that much code with this mentor. And he shared a lot about all the things that you had mentioned, how to be a developer and kind of high level architectural questions. And within work, I would ask my mentors, like not even just mentors, in my PRs, I will write things down. This is how I thought about doing this thing. I'm not sure if that's the right way to do it. What are your thoughts? Like I'll actually write questions in my PR because I want to get other people's opinions on what might be the best way. So I guess I feel like a lot of people are my mentors. (laughs) Yeah. There's this old adage that like it takes a village to raise a baby. And I think you can almost apply this to software engineering. Like the more people that participate in leveling up the juniors and early career developers on your team, the better that they're going to be. Because I can bring something to a person that you may not, and you can bring something to a person that I may not. And the combination of that will make them better instead of just me or just you giving as many viewpoints and his perspective and his backgrounds. Like everyone that I've worked with has a unique background, a unique perspective, and they all bring something different. And People may not be good mentors and they may not want to be mentors, but that doesn't mean that they can't help teach people just maybe even accidentally, maybe they're not even doing it on purpose. Just kind of you're saying like, Hey, I want feedback on this. That will like engage that person and be like, Oh, well, let me think about how I would solve this. Is this the way I would have solved it? And in that you get implicit mentoring through that. But I think explicit is important too. But yeah, just like I said, it does a whole team can help train newer developers, even if they are assigned to specific people to like be in control of that. What do you find most rewarding about being a mentor? I think that you have to find something that makes you feel like what you're doing is important in order to continue doing that thing. This is something I think about a lot with retaining senior engineers, because that used to be a big discussion topic of like, how do we retain senior engineers? Like we get them and they're gone. And then... I think the reason a lot of people leave is because they don't find fulfillment or maybe they don't like the job. And one thing that gives me a lot of purpose is if I can do something to help you provide for your family and your kids, that makes me feel really good. That makes me feel like I have purpose and I have value. And there's like this joy that I receive when someone I'm mentoring gets a job or figures out a pattern or they are able to solve something. And to see like their joy and their excitement, I can feel that. And it makes me feel those things. What advice might you give somebody who is thinking of trying to mentor somebody, but they don't know where to start? Just start. Stop worrying about whether you're going to be a perfect mentor or whether you're the right person or whether you have enough knowledge or whether you have this, whether you have that. I mentored people when I was still a mid-level developer And really what it kind of came down to is like you are being a person for that person to rely on. And you don't have to have all the answers. You ain't got the answers, Sway. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know all the things. You don't have to be the perfect coder. You just have to be someone that is going to be in that person's pocket, in that person's corner. And when they have questions, you work through them together. And eventually, the more you do it, the better you get. And the more you do it and the better you get this and you practice and eventually you're an all-star mentor. And it really doesn't have to start with anything other than, hey, I have a bug. 
I can't solve this bug. And you're like, hey, I'll help you with that bug. And then you code with that developer and you're like, you know, this person's like, they've got it. Whatever you want to describe it as, like, I think I'm good at picking up on whatever that it is. I'm like, this person's got it. They just need a little bit of help and they can be the developer that they want to be. And if you feel that you can help with that, just do it. Like, hey, man, I had fun solving this bug with you. How about we do it again next week? And I also find that the most important indicator of whether or not, for me specifically, whether or not it's going to be successful or not, is if you help someone and then you give them some sort of assignment of like, okay, how about for next time you try to do this or you figure out this and then explain to me or like this or that, like give them some sort of objective. Because if they haven't done it the next time, then they might not be as committed. You need to evaluate their commitment and their drive and their ambition. Because if they're not interested, like if they just want someone to tow them along, I'm not interested in doing that. I'm interested in like helping you become better, not me teaching you how to be better. So it needs to be like collaborative, not like a teacher relationship. Yeah, it sounds like it takes two to tango. Yeah. Is that the saying that people say? The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime should not be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at free. Yeah, you heard me, free. A big thank you to Honey Badger for sponsoring this episode of Ruby for All. Do you have a specific successful mentoring story you can share? So I very early on met a developer. I don't know how we met. We just met. And I was like, this person has it, whatever it is. And I heard this person's story. And I was like, I think I can help this person. I believe I can help this person. And so... Over the course of like the next few months, I was like, I'm going to help you and we're going to figure this out together. Every week we'd meet and I would help them with their resume or I would help them with building up their GitHub profile or this or that. And when they texted me one day that they got a job, it felt like it was their win, right? But like to me, it felt like a win too for me because I was like, I did it. They did it. But I accomplished what my goal was and that I think I helped this person. And now they have a job as a Ruby developer. And that felt great. That was exactly what I wanted. Yeah, that must have been a really good feeling. Congratulations, because I do think it's a win for you as well. The only thing I have left is if you have any advice going back to outside of mentorship, just going to senior, do you have any advice for a mid-level looking to level up? I get this question a lot and I don't ever really know how to answer it because I think for one thing, it differs for place to place. Some people have a very specific structure for how they determine whether you're a mid-level or a senior. Some places don't. And for me, and I've said this before to you, I think I'm sure I've said on the show before, like a junior to me is someone who is trying to figure out how to solve a problem. And then a mid-level developer can solve the problem. And then a senior knows different ways to solve the problem and like the pitfalls of those different ways. And like, there's a lot more nuance. And so I feel like to become a senior engineer, you just have to solve problems. And you have to get good at solving problems. And the other side of it is that you have to be a really good communicator. And you need to be someone who leads, someone who people will follow, and someone who is fair. That's a big thing, I think, 
fair, kind, helpful, all those things that like you want in your seniors, you need to be those things. I think really it's just like, if there's one part of it that's just time in, I think a lot of people want to really rush it, which I understand I wanted that too. But the older I get, the more I'm like, it's a process and it's continually trying and failing or continually trying and succeeding. It doesn't matter whatever it is, but you have to continue showing up day in, day out to be a senior. You have to learn things outside of the job. You have to think about architecture. You have to learn more about architecture. But yeah, I think really like the biggest thing for me is like, there's a lot in being a senior that is attitude, that is the way you conduct yourself, the way you communicate with others, the way you talk with others, the way you show up in the team and the work you do. A senior to me is not someone who can pump out 10x code. That's just someone who can write code. Being a senior is much more about like the attitude, I think. How did you learn about architecture? By experience, really. I jumped around a little bit like early career. And I saw a lot of different architecture things. Like I did major scale. I code fun. I got to work with an app that was like a big scale. And at other jobs, I got to work with things that were closed source, like not like internal tools. So I got to see those problems. And I'm also just a natural problem solver. So I got to experience a lot of like really wild out of the box problems that a lot of people wouldn't have to solve. And I also got good about doing that in public celebrating my wins, my failures in public and becoming like a personality, I guess you would say. And just like showing people that like, I love what I do. I love this community. I care about it. And just showing up and like, eventually people were like, Hey, you're a senior now. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Sweet. Do you feel like you need to work at different places in order to get all of those experiences? I want to say no, but the answer is yes. (laughs) Why? I almost like kind of hinted at it earlier. My first job, I was in an office, we were working and we had this like internal conversation. None of us will ever reach $100,000 here. Like we didn't believe that. And then eventually one of us asked our boss, does anyone on the team make $100,000? And they were like, yeah. And we were like, what? And they were like, yeah, of course you can make $100,000 working here. Like we have engineers who make more than that. I think I made 55 originally. And then at that point I was making like maybe 65, 75, something like that. And I left and... Got a different job, went to CodeFund, and then I left there. When I left CodeFund, I got a really big bump in pay and then wasn't happy at that company. And the first company who I had originally been working for like 75K, they were like, hey, there's an opportunity for you to come back if you'd like to. And I was like, cool, but I'm not making less than what I'm making right now. And so I came back over 100,000, far over 100,000. And so I would not have been receiving that money had I stayed at that company for the amount of time that I had been gone, right? I was gone for like a year and a half, maybe. And if I had just been there for a year and a half, I would not have been making that money. I would not have been thought of as a senior engineer. I would have been exactly kind of where I was probably. So yeah, I do think you have to leave to make more money and to become you, more things. Why do you think that is? Like, why couldn't you have done the same thing, but maybe a different team or, well, I guess it was small. Well, I think part of it is, You need to go other places to get other experiences and to solve other problems. Once I had all these other things, I like now I I understand things at scale. I've done like all these other things. I've led projects now. I've done this. I've done that. I came back with infinitely more experience and infinitely more things to to like provide the company. And I would not have got those experiences had I stayed there. I would have been solving the same problems, doing the same thing day in day out. Not a lot of room for growth when there's not a wide variety of problems to solve. So we talked about how you learn how to solve different problems. 
I think you need to go to different places and have new experiences to learn the variety. Like there's so many things that I was doing at my first company that like I came to a second company and they were like, oh, well, why would you do things like that? So everyone does things differently and you kind of have to sample those things to figure out number one, what you like, but number two, learning what those are so that you can continue carrying those experiences. There isn't a checklist of things that you could just mark off in order to become senior, is there? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, we're not a community that has like a lot of certifications built in. So like if we, this is like Java or something, I think Java may, or maybe even .NET is a better example, where there's like all these certifications you can get. And those actually indicate like maybe what level you are. Since we don't have that, it's more on like what this person can bring to the table. That's too bad because I love checklists. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That would be making it easy, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess that's too easy. Is there anything that you would like our listeners to take away from this? If you are a mid-level engineer and you want to understand how to become a senior, ask the people who are in charge of making those decisions for you. Ask your managers, ask your boss, what does leveling up look like for me? How can I achieve that? Can we implement a plan for me to reach that? If there's not that option, then start looking somewhere else. That is fantastic advice. Cool. Well... I will be RailsConf by the time this airs. I will have already been there. So hopefully I met some of you there. And for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.